The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 41 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I'm joined as always by my co-host on the left coast, Zandrick Ellison. And Zan, after a, you know, 41 episodes, some mini episodes, you know, some some other stuff that we've done. NBA Finals preview. It, the, the final starts Thursday night. How are you feeling about things? I'm wondering what you meant by the, some other stuff we've done. That sounded so cryptic. <laughs> have we fallen in love? I don't know. Maybe. We have a very much of a love-hate relationship, I think. It's mostly me needling you about James Harden. Um, but John we Wall. have and John Wall. Don't forget about that. You get those digs in. But that happens. It's like Draymond and Kevin Durant. We've developed a love-hate relationship that works. Title. And also, people should stay tuned. We have an interview with Kendall Baker from Axios Sports that was really good after you know the second half of the podcast talking about a lot of off-the-court stuff. But this time, we're going to talk about, as you mentioned, the finals. Actual human basketball. Yeah. So quickly, Thursday night, we start on ABC. Uh, thankfully, we'll get to hear Mark Jackson announce the Warriors again. My favorite thing that happens. Kevin Durant out for game one has not been ruled if he's even going to take the trip to Toronto for game one and two. So we don't know if he's going to play. DeMarcus Cousins is questionable. Toronto is minus one, I believe. It opened at Golden State minus two. It went to Toronto minus one. Your initial thoughts on this series, let's assume just no Kevin Durant for game one and they get 15 minutes of boogie. I I feel like we're going to see DeMarcus Cousins. What are your, you know, we, we talked about it. What are your thoughts? Like, dive dive right in, Zan. This is an interesting matchup. No, it's a very interesting matchup. And it's certainly not a cakewalk, I don't think, by any means. Especially with Durant not being game one. I suspect not in game two, either. I, I don't even think he's going to make the trip. I think so. I think so, too. I think so, too. Um, And then we can debate whether the boogie thing helps or hurts. And also, just in Toronto in general, I, I just think, you know, with a healthy Kawhi Leonard, this team was top five in offense and defense this year with Kawhi Leonard playing 60 games. Now that he's healthy, he's playing well. This is a legitimate, I don't know about title team, but a a formidable finals opponent. And I, and I think they have every real shot of beating a wounded Golden State team. Yeah. I think we would both agree not to, you know, we have to talk about LeBron and we do talk about with Kendall. uh, We talk about the Lakers drama from Tuesday and we also talk about RJ Hampton going overseas. Really interesting discussion there. I do want to say that. So do you stay tuned for, for Kendall Baker? But this is probably the best team. Maybe 2016 was better. I think this Toronto team is certainly better than the Cavs were last year by a long shot. By a long shot. I, I think the healthy version of the Cavs was better just because of, okay. you know. Okay. But, I mean, in terms of balance, in terms of, you know, having – six seven strong in a rotation veterans um no one you know Gasol is a little past his prime but in Lowry maybe a day or two past his prime but this team is built to win now 
I think it's really interesting, right? Because we kind of, we were talking how much we liked Milwaukee's depth and then Toronto gets, you know, major performances out of Fred Van Vliet gets in and eventually they get OG and Anubi back. Apparently. I I mean, I hope we see him in this series just because it'd be a shame. He's another long body they can play, but like, do you think this Raptors team is deeper than Golden State? I mean, because Ibaka is going to have to play more in this series against small ball five Draymond Green than we had to see him play against Milwaukee. I don't think that they can bury Ibaka like they did with uh, like they did in, in the Eastern Conference Finals because Draymond can really bother you off the catch, and it doesn't seem like Marcus Saul is going to be able to play as many minutes. Well, that's interesting. You talk about like who who is in this series, you know, like in terms of the rotation. And I think the debate for Toronto side, you know, obviously you're playing, you know, Lowry, you're playing Leonard, you're playing Siakam. I think Gasol, his minutes may depend on how much Boogie Cousins plays. I mean, if if the Warriors go small, go super small, then I think he might have trouble. But if the Warriors go big and there's talk that they might play Jordan Bell, they might play Damian Jones, they might play... um you know, Bogan and Boogie. And if they do that, I, I think they're kind of playing into Toronto's hands a little bit because then they'll be able to play Marc Gasol a little more. They could play Ibaka. I think it's going to be off the bench, Van Vliet, Ibaka. And then the one guy I'm not sure about is, is Norman Powell. Do you think they need his length to guard Clay? That was my question. Yeah, I do. And I think the most interesting part about this, and, and you're the length guy, and again, we talked about with the Bucks a lot where they had some longer wings. Toronto, if Anubi's healthy, and Anubi's healthy, excuse me, and Abaka is feeling spry and they do get some minutes from Norman Powell, like with Siakam and with Kawhi Leonard, like they can really guard Clay and Iguodala and Draymond and – Afonso McKinney and Kevon Looney, like they have a bunch of longer defenders to match up with them. And, and I think the really interesting thing is going to be how many minutes do you play Kyle and Fred Van Vliet when in reality, if Kevin Durant is hurt, Kawhi Leonard should be on Steph Curry a lot. He really should. And I'm very curious to see what Nick Nurse does to start because I don't think they will start that way. But if you don't, no, I don't think worry, so either. No, but if you don't have to worry about Kevin Durant, you have a guy that we both agree is the best perimeter defender in the NBA. Doesn't he have to guard Steph Curry at a certain point? He just has I, to. I don't right? think so. Actually, I, I don't really love that matchup. I mean, Kawhi's a bigger guy, of course. You know, he he could bother anybody, but can he bother him for forty minutes? I, I think it, it would tire him out. And again, I'm not I'm not saying he can guard him for forty minutes, but I do think that late in games, and especially because we we do see Golden State has done this more, and I think if Kevin Durant plays, they'll do this as well. But you'll finally get to see Steph Curry pick and rolls with Kevin Durant, or you'll get to see Steph Curry pick and rolls with Draymond, which you don't end up seeing a ton. And I think we'll see them hunt switches. And that's why I wonder, like, what do you think the right guy for Draymond, or for, I'm sorry, for Kawhi to guard is? Like, who do you think that is? Well, let's talk about, okay, so let's talk about Golden State has the ball. Toronto's defending. How do you defend them? How do you attack Toronto? I, I think you kind of alluded to it. The, the potential guy who I think is going to be a problem for Toronto is Clay. For this reason, Kyle Lowry, I think, can guard Curry, you know, capably. I mean, I think he's not fast enough, of course, but he's he's a tough, you know, bulldog defender. And they, they've been getting away with playing a lot of Lowry and Van Vliet together. Yeah, you cannot do that against this team. At least we don't think so. If Van Vliet shoots 90% from three, you can, but... And and they have, you know, the Raptors have two guys that could guard Clay. You know, Norman Powell's very long, you know, and also... Danny Green's a good defender, but Danny Green has not shown up for the playoffs. Um, so if he's not playable, I don't know why he wouldn't be. You know, he could turn it on like a flip of a switch maybe, but 
if he's not playing and the, and the Raptors don't trust him, then I think Clay can go off. I, I'm not concerned at all, really, with the front court of the Golden State minus Durant. You know, like Draymond is, you know, you talk about like Siakam's a pretty good defender for Draymond. I don't think they have to worry about that. Ugadala's not a guy who's going to beat you on his own. Kavon Looney is just a rebounder. Um, so I, I don't really think besides just how you guard those guards, Toronto has um, a huge amount of, you know, matchup problems or adjustments to make in terms of when Golden State has the ball and Toronto doesn't. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think, like, I think you're exactly right. I don't feel like, I do feel like Steph and Kyle is as good as I think Kyle Lowry is and as tough of a player as he is and as as much as I complimented him, I think that's the biggest mismatch in the series. I really do. Steph is so good and Kyle has struggled mightily trying to guard very good point guards like Kyrie Irving kicked his ass, John Wall kicked his ass, and Steph is way better than those guys. And so that one worries me. I don't know. I don't know what we'll see from Danny Green. It's really interesting. It was a little bit of an afterthought for me, and now you kind of bringing him up. I'm thinking about it. Like, he should be the guy that can guard Clay, right? Like, that should be the guy that can chase Clay Thompson around. Yeah, or even Steph, because he's he's got a few inches on him. Um, He really, he's just just shot really poorly. You know, he shot um, 32% from the field in the playoffs. But, you know, we said that about Van Vliet, and then he turns it on. So um, it's hard to know. I don't know why he wouldn't. I haven't seen maybe enough of him to know that why he has played well in the regular season and has kind of fallen off a cliff. I do wonder, though, we've talked about contrasting styles, and, and I've mentioned a bunch about Houston. And this the, the parallel here is that Kawhi is going to use a ton of possessions, and they are going to play relatively slow. And it'll be interesting to see if – I think that style is, is meant to work against the Warriors, especially without Kevin Durant. So. Yeah. And in terms of size, I mean, if in terms of versatility, they can go small, they can go big, they have capable defenders, you know, seven guys. Um, you're right. If if Lowry can't stay with Curry at all, I don't think Red Fleet can either. Those are both like short, stockier guards that maybe don't have the quickness. Um, that's going to be a big problem because I don't think you can switch uh, Kawhi Leonard onto Steph for for thirty minutes a night. So so maybe this is the Steph Curry series. I think you. I think you can do that. I don't think – I do not think they will unless – so real quick, uh, Toronto is plus 235 to win the actual series. Golden State is minus 285. That's relatively long odds. I think we've both talked about how we think the public feels Golden State is much better than Toronto, and, and privately the two of us do not feel that way. Now, this could I, – I would be stunned if it was a sweep, but, like, it could happen. Obviously, anything can happen. This playoffs has been very goofy. But I do think that this is a series for – to watch what Nick Nurse does and how quickly he adjusts. And, and I think the, the one adjustment that he always has, the trump card, is that Kawhi is so good on the perimeter that he kind of just guards whoever the best te- the team's best perimeter player is and if that's going to end up being Steph Curry because we don't really know how close Durant is. And like, we don't know if he's going to play at all. Well, that, that's the, obviously the big wild card here. And I think you're right in the sense that like the public underrates Toronto and the public – deliriously overrates golden states you know the idea of they're better without durant uh, yeah especially now sweeping portland i don't think people pay quite as much attention to the series being as close as it is despite it being a sweep like i think people think that golden state is just going to roll toronto because they rolled portland and we've talked about how you know they didn't necessarily really roll over portland well they, they yeah they, they turned it on late and they beat them but it wasn't you know their their depth was tested i i don't, didn't like scare me toronto has a lot more like punching power than 
than Portland, who's so dependent on those guards. That That's what I think, actually. And, and I think this is an interesting series. We've talked about Siakam a bunch, and he's been very, very up and down. But this is going to end up being probably a pretty good series for him just to play in because it's going to be more wide open. There's going to be more passing. We're going to get to watch him disrupt some passing lanes. There's going to be some smaller lineups where they'll get to post him. We have seen that happen often. And there are, you know, Golden State fans don't really want to think about this. Without Durant, though, there are places you can hide guys. Like if Quinn Cook plays, if Alfonso McKinney plays, if and, and Siakam and Kevon Looney, like you can have that be a situation where if they go small, you know, Toronto can counter with Siakam, Kawhi, Abaka as their front court, and then it's like Looney, Igadala, and Draymond Green, and they have three guys that can guard those guys relatively comfortably. And I don't mean to denigrate Draymond Green, but you're not you don't have to play Marcus Gasol. You know, you, no, you, and, and I think Kawhi and, and Siakam are, are defensively a very good matchup for Golden State. Yeah, I think so and, too. And I think if if there's no Durant, then Draymond might try to do too much and get turnover happy. And those guys are very good at poking the ball out, and they have long arms. And they they are. Kick. They are. And I would say that for Durant too. When Durant comes back, hopefully he comes back. Um, he has the tendency to dribble high, and you know Kawhi is freaking quick with those hands, those long hands, those long arms, and Siakam, same thing. Like they're going to co- create some turnovers um, in the passing lanes. You know that's one of Golden State's flaws is they can get a little pass happy, a little sloppy with the ball, and that's something to monitor. But before you know what, I'm a little scared because I think you're talking me into Toronto, and before I do that, I kind of need to take a step back. And so let's calm down. Let's talk about baseball. That's the way to calm me down. Because I don't know as much as you do, but I know you know a ton. And you're using um, yahoo.com backslash daily fantasy to make a lot of money because they have these 50-50 contests where the top 50% of the lineup wins and these quick match features where they pair you with another player of your skill level. So if you know more about baseball than me, we're not matched up together. Even matchups, kind of like this final. So use this promo code POD25 for $25 in free play when you make your first deposit and a little, you know, a little spending money in your pocket. I uh, I don't want to take a step back. I appreciate you saying that you want to take a step back. Here's what I want to do. I'm like Sting in the bedroom. It was making this slow burn here. So here's what I want to do. We we talked about this a little bit earlier. I want to talk about this from a from a player centric focus. Steph Curry minus one forty to win Finals MVP. Kawhi plus two fifty. Draymond Green plus a thousand. Clay Thompson plus fourteen hundred. Durant plus two thousand. Lowry plus four thousand. Siakam plus 4,000, then a bunch of guys on the bottom plus 30,000. In your opinion, is Steph Curry or Kawhi Leonard, this is obviously like Bet Online thinks that Kawhi, the Raptors have less of a chance to win, and obviously the MVP almost always comes from the team that wins. Is Kawhi the best player in the series, in your opinion, or is it Steph Curry? Excluding Kevin Durant, like I said, because I think Durant is, again, it's. If, if we could bet on if Durant's going to play, I think right now I'd probably say no just based on the information that we've gotten that I just don't know how close he is. But again, it looks like it's Kawhi versus Steph. Like, who, who do you think is the best player in the series? I have a definitive answer on this, and it might go against the consensus. Um, I think Kawhi Leonard, a healthy Kawhi Leonard versus a healthy Steph Curry, I think Steph Curry's a better, more impactful player, and I'll tell you why. Because I think a lot of Kawhi Leonard's value in these finals – um, and in the playoffs in general, comes down to the fact that he's such a good defender for like big, small forwards like LeBron or like Kevin Durant. And that's great. Yeah, Giannis. Giannis. Yeah. You know, that happens to work out really well. And Simmons. If there's no real threat at that position, 
um, he's less effective. It's almost like Aquaman, you know, like we're in the desert. Like how effective is Aquaman? You know, you're taking away one of his, you know, feathers in his cap. Not very, not very effective unless he finds an oasis. Right. And so if you think Kawhi Leonard could shut down Steph Curry, then he's the most valuable player, Kawhi Leonard. I, I don't think so. I, I think he's, he's better suited to play like these hybrid four, three fours. Um, whereas my point being Steph Curry is not Aquaman. He could thrive in any matchup in any situation because what he brings to the table, um, you really can't take away, right? Like he's going to shoot 40, 45% from three against any team. It's just a matter of how many shots is he launching. I got a question for you. Why can't Kawhi guard Draymond? And then you can't, essentially you can't, if you, if you do that, then Curry Draymond pick and rolls or Draymond operating in space, you know, maybe they don't hunt that quite as much and that takes away a huge part of their offense. And I think he definitely can guard Draymond. I think and he could, you know, hide him on, you know, Iguodala or whoever and have him roam. No, no, you're not going to. Oh, oh, I get what you're saying. I, I don't I don't know. Honestly, that's an interesting thought. I, I feel like I'd rather do that with somebody like Ibaka when he was in the game because he could be more of a rim protector or, or Marcus Saul for that matter. I think I'd rather hide on a guy like Iguodala. And then also you also have the, you know, the mythic fifth starter. Who is it going to be if there's no Durant? Like if you're Steve Kerr, do you? I don't think Cousins is going to be hundred percent or healthy enough to play or start. I would play Looney. I would start Looney a hundred percent. I think I would start Looney. And so that's another guy that you're not really guarding outside the paint. Um, so I, you could put like Marcus all and Looney, you know, effectively hide him there or whoever, whomever you could have Siakam on him and then have Siakam kind of roam a little bit. Well, what do you think? What do you think? I mean, how, Kawhi Leonard has been fantastic on offense, right? Just fantastic. I mean, again, the shooting percentage has gone down as he's taken more of a load, but are we burying the fact that Andre Iguodala is also a very good big wing defender? Is this, are we seeing a guy, because like Ben Simmons did an okay job. Jimmy Butler did an okay job. Milwaukee never guarded uh, Kawhi with Giannis. And Chris Middleton is not nearly the defender that Iguodala is or that Draymond Green is. Are we understating how good Golden State probably will be defensively? No, I agree. I think that's an key point and if Iguodala is healthy because he's not 100 percent. yeah his calf is also messed up <laughs> i don't think he's been 100 percent since 2009 but when he's playing i think he's on the almost on the level of Kawhi leonard as a perimeter defender and I, would I, think agree. The, I would agree with that the okay. one thing that i think makes them so unique is they can guard you 40 feet out and slap balls away get steals without fouling those two have the, they have the two, they have the two quickest set of hands in the NBA in terms of that stealing the basketball. It's unbelievable how how good they both are at that. Yeah, so Iguodala guarding Kawhi Leonard, I, I have no problem with that. I think that's a good matchup for the Warriors in terms of as good as you're going to find. It's just a matter of is his body healthy enough to play 30, 35 minutes. And and I think with the Raptors, it's really interesting because again, Leonard's going to use tons and tons of possessions. Fred Van Vliet, we, our guy, huge X factor in the Bucs series. Totally flipped the Bucs series on its head when he started making shots. Kyle Lowry, two out of th- the last three games, he was really, really good. Siakam wasn't amazing on offense, but he was very good. Do you anticipate that carrying over? Because the bottom line is like, we know Golden State's going to score. They're, they're, they've got enough guys to do it. Does Toronto have another guy if Van Vliet comes back to earth, if Kyle becomes like what we know as playoff Kyle Lowry or do you think they're playing with enough confidence that like you're not worried about other guys on Toronto scoring because that is my biggest concern no absolutely and you know as much as you know that's why I had to do that baseball ad because I I was going to talk myself into something I didn't want to do um which was take Toronto 
And I think, because I think when we talk about them defensively, I think they match up well, as well as you could hope to. Offensively, I don't think they have enough. I mean, Kawhi Leonard, if you can put Iguodala on him, neutralize him to some degree, who's that other guy who's going to take over a game? Have that big, you know, Clay's going to have one big game at least. Who, who on Toronto can you really trust to do that? I don't really see it. I, I don't think Lowry and Siakam are going to have as consistent of play as like a Clay Thompson. And, and I think the issue here is like, are they going to shoot the ball as well as they shot it against? I mean, they shot 37% from three against Milwaukee. And, that's, and they played slow. Like, they, they were fine. I think the pace for the series was, uh, yeah, about 96 possessions per 100. And I, and I do feel like they're going to need to play that way again. And like I said, I've said this from the start. Like, I think that's the best way to combat this Golden State team because of how hot they can get. Now, they'll shoot some more threes. Their, their shot selection will definitely be better. But I do feel like this Toronto team has – a couple adjustments they can make. And like I said, it'll be very interesting to see what Nick Nurse does. Like the one is how often do you like Kawhi guard Steph Curry? I think he is totally capable of doing it. I think it'll be very similar to how Miami sort of sicked LeBron on uh, uh, Derrick Rose back in the day. It's a little different, obviously, because Steph Curry is a better shooter. But what I do think they'll do is they'll have him guard Draymond a lot. And that'll just kind of, it'll, it'll force the Warriors to go away from a lot of the things they like to do. Now, my Kind of other thought process on this is like I do think Toronto's going to have to hide Kyle and Fred VanVleet when they're in the game. Those are the guys that I think are going to end up on the Igadalas and the Kevon Looney's in space because I don't feel like they think those guys are able to stay with them on the perimeter, and I think they want to stay on guys that are shooters and kind of roam. I also am curious as how much Marcus Saul is going to play. He was very good space on the floor. He was very good as a passer. I don't think there's much more of a clear plan for him to play unless Demarcus Cousins plays. And that's where I think Steve Kerr needs to make sure that he knows, like, I want to roll with lineups that I'm comfortable with, kind of like I talked about before, and not go back to the boogie well and not be like a jockey going to the whip with boogie and being like, we need 28 minutes because they just don't need 28 minutes from him. So I think they can kind of recognize, like, all right, if it works being small, then I don't need to play DeMarcus Cousins 22 minutes. And I think that's a big tweak. The the last tweak I have just for Golden State – is that I, I wonder how often they'll go five out. I, I wonder how often they'll go small, and will their small lineup be Jarebko? Will their small lineup be Quinn Cook? Will they go super small because they know Toronto want to play, wants to play Van Vliet? And, and I'm a little bit curious with that because they've had so much success with Draymond making plays in the open court with four shooters around him. I don't know how they feel like Toronto will let them do that because Toronto's so long and so athletic and, like you said, so good in passing lanes – I feel like they might have to have more playmakers on the floor than shooters this time around. Well, it's almost like a chick game of chicken. Do you remember chicken? Have you ever played like the, you know, have you ever run somebody off the road? Yeah, I never drove, drove my car straight at somebody <laughs> else. And, and I, you, grew, I grew up in the 50s, so that's, that's how I did it. You are right about this, though. And this is why Nick Nurse was better, because Bud blinked. Like, Nick Nurse made all his adjustments, and Bud didn't do shit. And Steve Kerr is probably not going to do that. I'll, I'll be honest. Well, I think the game of chicken revolves around, like, who's going to go small first? And... I think it would be to the Warriors' benefit to go small sooner than later, and and that relates to Boogie. I mean, I firmly believe the Warriors are much better with Kevin Durant. I'm not sure if they're better with Boogie Cousins. Just because in terms of the pace, in terms of the defense, um, I don't know about his fitness level. I don't know about his health. And I think plugging him in and and throwing him touches because you think he's a scorer is just going to slow the game down and bog the game down. I think that plays into Toronto's hands. 
if, if I was Steve Kerr, I would go small very early as well because I do want to see what they're going to do with Kawhi because I think he's the biggest game breaker on the defensive side of the ball. And if, and if we see – I mean, Zan, if we see that you're right and Kawhi is flummoxed when he has to be switched on to Curry and it, it throws their whole defense out of whack, then if I'm Steve Kerr, I know that and I can really react to that later on in the series. And, and again, then I can make Toronto – probably force Toronto to do some things maybe they don't want to do. You know, maybe play Danny Green a little bit more. You know, maybe maybe they can't play Fred VanVleet because they don't feel like they can force switches with him in the game or something like that. And, and I do feel like that's where, if I'm Steve Kerr, I want to see immediately how they're kind of using Kawhi on the on the defensive side of the ball. The I, I definitely I, don't think they'll start with Kawhi on Steph, as you said. He, he's 40, 50 pounds heavier. But guys get cross-matched all the time, too. That's the other thing to keep in mind. So, you know, if he doesn't guard Steph at all this series, I'll be really, really surprised. The other The other thing I will say in terms of what I think Toronto has to do they Kyle has got to put his foot on the gas I've talked about this before but you have got to hunt Steph on the offensive side of the ball you have you need to tire him out especially without Durant that's the biggest thing Zan is like they need Steph to be able to score 30 35 points a game so Kyle and and other guys when they get switched on the Steph they have to attack so I would expect to see a lot of Kawhi screen and rolls with their point guards to see what we get and see if we get Kawhi switched on to Steph on the offensive side of the ball or Siakam to post and stuff like that. I feel like that's a big part of this game plan for Toronto is you got to wear Steph Curry down. It's fun. And I love seeing teams like Toronto in these playoff matchups, these long series, because they do have switchable pieces and you can make adjustments Whereas some teams are just so locked in. It's just like they're bringing their plan a and plan a and plan a. Um, I think, I hope Steve Kerr has always been a step slow to adjust. I would say. I agree. Um, he's I agree. been better lately. I would get. I would guess. Um, in Houston series, I thought he did a good job. Um, but if he doesn't go small quickly, uh, then they, they. I think they could lose a game or two early. And I think if they go small quickly, then kind of becomes a shooting contest. And it's hard Warriors, to pick the Warriors. Yeah, it's hard to pick against the Warriors. Well, and also, and also to that point, like the. The one, the thing that could hurt you with going small is if you know Toronto pounds the glass. But if you have Kavon Looney in there, um, he's such a good rebounder. Draymond can rebound well. I, I'm not so worried about that. So I think going small is the Warriors' best path to success. So if um, do you want to make predictions now, or do you want to save it? Uh, let's do this. Obviously, with the NBA Finals coming up, uh, you can go to Bet Online because summer is starting, and you have the NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup Finals. Plus Major League Baseball, I am currently watching the Nats and the Braves. Uh, in Bet Online is the only place that has me covered and the one place that we trust. So you can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code PODCAST1 for your 50% welcome bonus. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-O-N-E. So don't sit on the sidelines, Zan. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code PODCAST1. Or you can text BETNOW, B-E-T-N-O-W, to 238-669 to receive a 50% welcome bonus. You can use that on the NBA Finals on Thursday night. You can use that on the Blues versus the Bruins on Wednesday night. You can use it on the Colonial Golf Tournament this weekend. You can use it on Wimbledon coming up. But that's betonline.ag, and they are your online sportsbook experts. Well, you mentioned I shouldn't sit on the sidelines, but that's where I'm comfortable, you know, because I'm not a player. I don't have the endurance of even a Boogie Cousins anymore. I'm not in my prime. I'm past my prime. So I like to sit on the sidelines, and I like to be comfortable. And what do you think I wear while I'm doing that, Tyler? I'm hoping it's Wrangler jeans. You know, you bet your ass is Wrangler jeans. They're the most real, the most comfortable jeans on the market. You know, if they're good enough for Brett Favre and rodeo riders, they're good enough for me watching the game on my couch. 
you know, you think I'm better than Brett Favre. Um, and if I go out, if I go out and get some wings or I go out and get some pizza, I can wear my Wranglers and look like a real man doing it. And then they also have outerwear for women. They have women's clothes, outerwear for me. You can just load up, hunker down on the sidelines, watch the finals with your Wrangler, head to toe Wrangler outfit like Jay Leno. Oh man, real comfortable jeans, right? So here, let's do this. Predictions. You have been red hot. We don't have Blake J. Harris for this prediction. He had the Warriors pegged perfectly. Give me who wins, how many games, who's MVP, and then well, do you want to go first? I'm waiting for your playoff moment, you know, like a Fred Van Vliet, because <laughs> you were so good in the regular season. You were the James Harden of predictions in the regular season, and you're the James Harden of predictions in the playoff season. Oh, what a dick. I'm oh. going to all right. Yeah, I'm gonna give you two. I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you two things, okay? If Kevin Durant plays. Golden State is going to win the series in five. If Kevin Durant plays even two games, they're going to win the they're going to win the series in five. Uh, I Steph's going to win MVP. I'm I'm likely sure of that. I, I think the value play we talked about is Clay Thompson plus fourteen hundred. If Kevin Durant does not play, I am going to do something absolutely out of control. I'm going to pick the Toronto Raptors in seven games if we do not see Kevin Durant. I do feel like this Raptors team is feeling it. I feel like Nick Nurse has been very good in the playoffs. I feel like Kawhi's the best player. I think we're going to see Kawhi on Steph way more than you do. I think Kawhi's going to win MVP, but I also think that Toronto has the depth, and I think they've got the guards. I don't think they can beat the Warriors with Kevin Durant because I do think Durant allows them to play a slower style and score a little bit more, plus it frees up Steph Curry. My biggest thing is Kawhi doesn't have to guard KD, and that allows him to guard Clay and Steph and Iguodala and Draymond, and I think that makes them so much easier to guard for a team like the Raptors. So if Durant is healthy and Durant plays some, I got the Warriors in either five or six. I'll, I'll, say, I'll say six just because Durant probably doesn't play the first two games. If Durant doesn't play at all, I got the Raptors in seven, and I got MVP Kawhi Leonard. I like it. That was bold. I mean, you know, you hedged, but you explained how you hedged. And I well, think it's just, that. it's no, such I a Durant, not, we don't know. We don't I'm know not that. betting this series. Personally, I'm not betting the series because I don't have any idea. It feels like if you don't feel like Durant plays, the Raptors at plus 235 seems like an absurd value for a team as good as them. But I agree. It's like you also could just be lighting money on fire. Well, I think I'll make my own predictions because you were so in depth. I'll say this. Um, I think game one is going to be so key. You know, in terms of confidence of Toronto, if they lose game one, I could see them getting rattled. And they, you know, they had so much emotional energy tied up and in, in coming back and beating Milwaukee that they might be running on fumes at this point. And if they lose that game one, that's brutal. And then from Golden State's perspective, if they win game one or game two, it buys you a little more time with Durant too. You know, like you don't have to rush Durant back. I, I'm expecting, I think it's almost a toss up. I, I kind of agree with you in the sense that for a seven game series without Durant, Toronto slightly better, but I just don't see Durant missing this series, you know, like at, at, at all. I'm saying missing the whole series, even if he's not a hundred percent, I just think people already accuse him of getting cheap titles. He has to make an appearance. I think he's going to come back for game. F- I think it'll be tied two two. Um, I think Toronto has an edge if they go slow and, and big and then Kerr hopefully adjust. Uh, before it's too late and then Durant comes back game five six seven handles his business I think with Durant relatively healthy they're clearly the better team and and they'll be able to take care of business and win in six Durant MVP for a three-game performance all right so that is it for us there's our finals preview and then uh, enjoy this interview with Kendall Baker 
the uh, sports editor at Axios, and sign up for his newsletter. And Zan, we will be back uh, next Monday to talk about the finals. All right, buddy. All our predictions, but let's listen to Kendall. Hi, I'm sports broadcaster Anne-Marie Anderson. I'm Olympian Holly McPeak. We're both former athletes, businesswomen, and mothers, and we want to help you create the life you want using sports like a boss. Whether you're an athlete, entrepreneur, or parent, we want to help you get to where you want to be. Well, good, because I either got too many kids or I'm overscheduled, overwhelmed. Honestly, Holly, half the time I feel like I'm screwing it up. Well, that's why we created this podcast to help get coaching, parenting, and the whole sports culture back on track. We've got a big network of people elite athletes like you, Holly, entertainers, experts. We're going to find out what works for them and what doesn't so that you handle sports like a boss. We are pleased to be joined a little three-man booth action. Uh, myself, uh, Zandrick Ellison, as always, and then Zan, we have a special guest today if you want to introduce him for us. Sure. And I want to take credit too, because in the NBA world, like in our, in our analyst world, I have kind of a mixed track record with you know, prospect evaluation, you know, like I thought Bradley Beal was better than Michael Kidd Gilchrist that worked out. I thought Josh Jackson was better than Jason Tatum. That did not work out. You know, not a great track record, but the one track record I have is evaluating analyst talent. I think that's my calling card. Evaluating interview talent. You know, we brought in Taylor Jenkins to your show, the Milwaukee assistant. He ended up after the show going, getting a head coaching job interview. We interviewed Blake J. Harris. Author, futurist, ends up getting a bestseller. Interviewed stats kid guru, Tal Boger. He ends up getting into Yale this month. Congratulations to him. Big coup for Yale. And the next guest, my next pick, Kendall Baker of Axios. Welcome, Kendall. Thank you so much. So, so basically, I need to get a head coaching job offer, an Ivy League offer. and Or a bestseller. One of the three. And a bestseller on it. Um, but you're already off to a good start, you know, like I, I'm not just picking these people off the streets, you know, it's not like a trading places situation. I, I picked you because you have this Axios newsletter of sports kind of gives you like a daily refresher, but I want you to describe it. How do, how do you describe like your service and what people should expect? For sure. So, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, basically I, so I started my career at ESPN and Bleach Report and then I was really focused on just like starting a sports media company of any kind. I actually got out of sports, got into covering tech and business out here in San Francisco, really interested in just kind of learning how to start a business. And there I was opened, my eyes were open to the daily newsletter model, which is the most efficient model in media. Um, there's a million tech newsletters, a million politics newsletters. I was, I was writing one covering entrepreneurship, tech. And then I looked at the sports space and there was nothing. So I basically said, why doesn't somebody make a, basically, you know, a sports center, uh, you know, in a newsletter and send it every morning uh, and get these people who used to follow sports because they woke up in the morning and watched it on TV and have now fallen off, get them back on board. So it basically is, a, you know, a good way to describe it would be sports center in an email every morning. Well, and, and this is funny because just to clarify for our listeners, this is not like a paid spot. Like I, I actually like subscribe to this Kendall's newsletter and I think it's great because like as a sports fan, you end up missing so much. It's like, if you're out of the loop for 24 hours, like I just read today about Magic Johnson, you know, Rob Palenka, all this stuff, but also um, your newsletter goes broader than, you know, NBA. We also, you also have like, oh, you know, like the hockey results from last night. Like I'm not a big hockey fan, but it's nice for me to know, okay, Stanley Cup's happening. Game one happened. The way I know that is because I read your daily newsletter. Yeah. One thing I'd say is like, that I really think people value is 
I, I would describe it as like constantly giving people their bearings. I think people find a lot of value in just kind of always feeling like, even if they don't know a ton about it, just constantly feeling like, like what's on tonight? What happened yesterday? What's coming up? And it kind of gives you this comfortable feeling of like, if I do get caught in a conversation, I'm not going to be completely out of the loop. Oh, the, the college baseball bracket was unveiled yesterday. Like, you know, I might not care about that, but it's kind of, I kind of care that I like now know that. And, oh, there's my dad's school. They're the number five seed. Like people just like that stuff. And so it, it does kind of constantly give you your bearings. And even, even if you're a diehard sports fan, you're kind of always kept, you know, up to speed with everything. Yeah. And it's sort of a situation now, I guess, where you made a joke about it before we started recording, like the NBA just kind of provides storylines all the time, but we are getting to kind of like the doldrums of the summer, Kendall, where it is, it's like baseball every day and, you know, like Wimbledon and stuff like that and golf. But do you feel like it's harder to find storylines over the next couple months, like June, July, August, just because it, it does feel like this is a little bit of a downtime in sports, especially after the NBA finals and Stanley Cup finals are over? For sure. Yeah. No, I've been doing this for almost two years now. And I will say, you know, there's definitely a, a more of a challenging aspect to it in terms of finding really good stories. But part of me actually likes the slower periods more because I'm actually forced to kind of get creative with bigger picture stories, connect dots more so than, oh, like now I kind of feel a responsibility to have the Stanley Cup, the NBA Finals as my top two stories, right? Because the game happened last night. And if you don't have it in there, people are like, this is weird. This isn't here. But when you when you don't have obligations to cover, you know, events from the previous night or events coming up that night, kind of allows you to get more creative. So I've never had an experience where it's like, oh my God, I can't send a newsletter tomorrow. There's nothing to write about. Something always will deliver. And then it's crazy, like having done this, I mean, you know, I'm a, the biggest sports nerd ever, but have, doing this, I feel like I'm even more aware of how much stuff there is, even in the doldrums. I mean, we have the Women's World Cup starting next week. Like what? Like that's just like, okay. Um, so there's just always something. Um, so I, I think I actually kind of prefer the off the, the down season, if that makes any sense. So what, what story is for the NBA side of the newsletter, as we are the underdog sports NBA show, what, what's going to be the lead of the stuff that, that happened, you know, on the Monday, kind of Monday, Tuesday, coming out of Memorial Day weekend? What do you, what do you think is the, is the biggest story going on right now? So for me, for tomorrow, since I've already started working on it, the RJ Hampton story is going to be my top story. Um, I think if I hadn't covered, we covered this Lakers, Lakers drama, you know, when it first, when Magic first went on uh, first take, you know, two weeks ago or whatever that was. Um, that might be, but just because I've already covered that, I'm going with RJ instead, which I think they're both equally interesting stories. I think the Hampton story is maybe a little bit more bigger picture and, you know, the next three years kind of impacts that versus the Lakers drama could, you know, it'll be, it's an off season story. Um, so yeah. Well, let's talk, let's talk about that. Cause I, I, you know, if people aren't following, they don't have the newsletter, they miss stories here and there. RJ Hampton, you know, five-star recruit. Um, I can't say I know much about him. Tyler is more plugged in with college basketball. Maybe he can give us a scouting report, but he decided not to go to college. He's going to play for the New Zealand Breakers um, instead, I think just for a year, right? That's the idea? Yeah, correct. So twenty, he's, he was a 2020 kid. He reclassed to 2019, top five, top six guy, depending on like what scouting service you want to use. Six, five, probably a little bit more of a combo than he is a point guard, but yeah, he's going to the New Zealand Breakers. Interesting story about the Breakers, owned by uh, former Sean Marion's a, a part owner, Matt Walsh, I think, who used to play at Florida and I think had a cup of coffee in the NBA. He is, a, I believe, the more primary owner. But so he's now the second kid to come out of high school and go to uh, the Breakers specifically. Terrence Ferguson did as well. 
But I think, you know, Kendall, the most interesting part about the story with RJ Hampton is this to me. The other guys that have gone overseas and not played in college, all were going to have eligibility concerns. You know, your Emmanuel Moutiers and Terrence Ferguson went to prime prep. It's pretty unlikely they would have gotten eligible. Brandon Jennings had some obvious issues uh, academically that it would seem pretty unlikely that he was going to get eligible. Jeremy Tyler back in the day <laughs> had a whole host of things that were not going well. And obviously LaMelo Ball, you know, his dad decided to go have him play pro. Do, do you, this is to me the, the biggest storyline is that this is the first kid who was a very good student who would have had no problem playing anywhere that kind of just decided he was going to go to New Zealand and make money. And I'm curious, like, what do you think about that? Exactly. I, I totally agree with that. I think the, you know, the, the past stories have always been a last ditch effort or they didn't have many options left. And that was their last option. This is clearly like weighing two options, go to college, go abroad. He's choosing abroad. I think it's interesting. I mean, I think there's a lot of factors at play here. One that I don't think is being talked about enough is I think in you know, social media, social media is always a trend that people are watching. But I do think if you look at kind of like, you know, how that's taken hold, I think somebody in RJ's position, a high schooler, it's very, it's much easier for him to look at what life would be like in New Zealand and be like, oh, I can do that. Like, I think there, there's not as much fear. Um, you're, you're always going to be connected your FaceTime, whatever it is. Like, there's not as much, as much fear of going abroad. I also think there's factors like basketball being played globally in similar styles where it's not like, you know, you go abroad and play basketball and all of a sudden it's like, oh, is he going to fit? Like, some of those pro systems are probably even more similar to the NBA. So it really is kind of a, it's not as much of an alternative route. It's just kind of like, do you want to get paid versus go to college? It's not like this crazy curve. Get moment. paid under the table. Maybe. Well, and well, real quick, Zan, before you chime in, let me just, as I always do, the NBL does have a little thing in their system. Most European leagues, they, they only allow a certain amount of imports. So in the NBL, you can have three imports, which is pretty standard, but they, they do have a provision in their league that's called this like rising star provision where not only can you sign a young guy who's classified kind of like RJ Hampton is, I'm not sure what the actual language is, but the league will also subsidize some of his salary as well because they know it's a draw for the league. So kudos to the NBL of like really recognizing like, hey, this is an avenue that more kids want to take. And so the New Zealand Breakers save some money. They add another presumably good player. I don't know how good he'll be right away over there. But uh, I actually, a kid that I worked with and coached in college does play for the Adelaide 36ers, and I texted a little, with him a little bit today, and he, he is pretty confident that RJ will be good. But I do think it's really good of the NBL to kind of jump in and be like, hey, we're going to help kids like this, especially in another English-speaking country, because it eases the transition a little bit. Totally. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. It's kind of it's similar, not, not exactly the same, similar to kind of the, the MLS setup where it's, you know, we have this structure to keep everybody kind of even, but everybody can go outside of that structure and sign a big name person this obviously the mls is playing that old washed up veterans you know that whereas this is kind of like potentially an alternative to college so i think you're right they're kind of carving out a niche with this role well and it's interesting to me too because um i don't think it's reaction to to the last couple years maybe maybe he's just you know wants the money maybe he wants to develop i new zealand is also an amazing place um you know it could be a fun like gap year for somebody, but looking at college, you know, in terms of your draft stock, like we, we saw this like group of freshmen that were pretty highly touted and pretty much only Zion, like improved his stock. You talk about like RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish get nitpicked a lot. They kind of underwhelmed. And then a couple of the star freshmen like Bull Bull and, and Darius Garland got hurt and missed the whole year. And their, their stock kind of sagged a little bit as a result. I don't know if more 
exposure helps your your scouting evaluation because there, there's more flaws to find. At the same time, those guys are all household names because they were in college. So I, I don't know about your marketability, um, how if he going off the grid is going to help him. Well, I actually thought, Kendall, that it was really interesting today with RJ Hampton because he announced on Get Up this morning. So he was on SportsCenter. And this is, again, this is a kid who, you know, up until about a month ago was a 2020 prospect. So still one year removed from going to college. So unless you were really tied in on the AAU scene, which happens to be what I do for my proper job, uh, you wouldn't really know that this is like a big time thing that happened. But like he did Get Up. He did CJ McCollum's pod, which drops on Wednesday morning. He was at the Barstool headquarters because the guy from guys from Pardon My Take are like small owners in the New Zealand Breakers. He did some hit on uh, 24-7, and he did something on Fox. So it's very clear. I believe he's repped by Happy Walters. I think I read that. So it's very clear that people in his camp are using this sort of like lightning rod of like, all right, we're going to get you in front of the camera and build your brand. Because then when you go to uh, New Zealand, nobody's going to pay a ton of attention like did you guys know brian bone was there this year other than just like reading up draft yeah, if, draft if it wasn't style? my job of course i wouldn't <laughs> exactly it's so true like there's you know i think for the most part obviously college basketball you know going to the nba you're gonna have a lot more exposure but i think there is an argument to be made that if you play it right if you're very media savvy and you are that like high school or playing abroad then you have your own kind of market that you can work back home i also think one interesting thing based on what you're just saying made me think of it like obviously you know his people are putting on these shows but what i would wonder is as younger people are becoming more and more entrepreneurial and more and more about like their own brands and more and more seeing these opportunities that they as athletes can have kind of out of the system i wonder if like somebody like rj is the appeal to him you know outside of you know being better prepared for the nba and all these things like is that he's going to be an adult or feel more like an adult he's going to be treat himself more like a business and not have to kind of take that year in college where like you can't treat yourself like a business but you kind of can because you're growing your instagram following that you'll then make money off later right he he has 270,000 instagram followers as of today or as of you know tuesday so wednesday he's clearly whatever clearly already like you know Right. So it would seem to make sense that like, if you're happy Walters and, and you're his agency, you, you hook him up with the social media guy, you have someone there with him all the time and he can profit off his Instagram handle for sure as supplemental income as well. Cause obviously you're not going to get a huge sneaker deal when you go over there, you'll get something of course, but like, it would feel like that's probably the way to go in this social media age. And I think a lot of like young hoopers are doing that now, Zan, what do you think? Well, we talked about it before with like the Zion thing it's fraught with like potential um, nefarious agents, but uh, both real agents and outside partners. But I do think the NCAA should look at the idea of allowing these people to profit off of their social media following, if not directly from the school. And I think that's going to be like the NCAA, if they want to keep this one and done thing, we've talked about it before, like why can um, Lori Laughlin's daughter, you know, who was allegedly on the crew team and she was selling, you know, ads on her social media and Instagram, because she had like 100,000 followers. Why can she make money as a college student and Zion can't independently? I, I've never quite understood that. I know that it could be shady. There could be like, you know, um, a booster from, you know, Wake Forest who gives them a million dollars and ends up going to Wake Forest. But I don't see the, the victim in that circumstance. I, I, I completely agree. I think, you know, every argument against the NCAA comes down to nobody can present without writing a million pages and actual like formulaic solution and so we're always going to be stuck in this like well of course we need to pay him okay but then who gets paid who doesn't and i think it's going to eventually to your point they're going to be forced to make changes because it it, it would be criminal for college basketball to not go the 
you know, die, but like be like, like there's so many fan bases already built into college basketball. People always make these comparisons like, Oh, you can go to the G league you can go abroad. Like, are we forgetting how much, how these fan bases are baked in Kansas? Do these schools like, why, like, why are we trying to build another league? We already have a league and let's make it work. You know, college basketball is already a league. And, and, and I'm always hearing these arguments for like, well, they can go to the G League. Like nobody cares about the G League. Yeah, let's I not agree. focus on yeah. making the G League interesting. We already have an interesting league. Let's make the rules make sense. Um, Tyler, I have a question for you because you're a coach, you're a development guy. Um, regardless of the social media, your popularity, your brand, the money, that's one thing. In terms of just pure development, is it better to go to a top program, let's say like a Duke in Kentucky, where the coaching is top-notch but limited in the amount of coaching they're allowed to do and the competition is limited? Or is it better you know, to go abroad and play for a professional team? Um, I'm trying to think recently, like Emmanuel Moutier did it, Brandon Jennings did it, Terrence Ferguson did it. Uh, it's hard to really tell based on that limited sample size which would have worked better for them, but what would you recommend? Yeah, it's better to go to college. I mean, it's better if you can just go to the NBA and hopefully in 2022, that'll, that'll be different. And I, I got a little bit heated today about like your Doug Gottlieb's and Mike DeCourcy's and college basketball writers that are like, look, see, this system works for guys that want it. And it's like total bullshit that he has to go to like another country and get acclimated. Even if he is going to make money, he's not going to make, he, he, if RJ Hampton could get drafted this year, I'm fairly certain he would be a lottery pick. I, I feel comfortable saying that, you know, I feel like going to New Zealand is a really good way to protect your draft stock, Zan. I know that wasn't really your question, but I, I do think it's no, a little I, bit less. I agree. That's what I was saying before. This is going to get a this is a roundabout way of saying it. But it's it's a little bit of a league where you know he's physically going to be able to fit in. Like where Terrence Ferguson was so thin, RJ Hampton's a little bit bigger than him. But like you go to China and you don't realize the difference in like the cuisine when you get there. You think like, oh, I like Chinese food, and it's way different. Like you don't understand how much how little help you have. But New Zealand is much more like Americanized. It's it's much easier to kind of handle. The league itself isn't so damn good because you do have so many natives. Like this is the easiest way to do it. Like there's a reason that these guys aren't going. Like when Brandon Jennings went to Treviso and played in like a freaking ACB level team, like that league is really good. New Zealand, it'll be a good way for RJ Hampton to make some money, enjoy some beaches and like not feel like he torpedoed his draft stock. I honestly feel that way. That's what I was going to say. Sorry, Kendall, about like the paper trail. Like this is this is going a, a you know a long road. But in the eighties, the Supreme Court blocked um, a Supreme Court nominee named Robert Bork, who was you know very conservative and, and possibly too conservative. But one of the reasons is he had a long history of writing decisions, and he wrote a lot, and there was a lot to nitpick. And ever since then, one of the theories behind Supreme Court judges was you got to pick somebody with a limited paper trail, like less to pick apart. And I think that's also with presidential candidates. Obama's so new, there's not much dirt on him. And in the same way, is it better to kind of hide as a you know, prospect? Like they don't have tape on me. They don't have tape on my, the fact that I can't go left. No one's watching these games. I can show, I'll send them my highlight package where I look great. Um, how many people are actually you know, going to these games. And NBA teams obviously will. And that's what's most important. But you are probably playing. I, I don't know if the NBL is the same as like playing in the ACC or the Big 12. I, I don't know that. Like I would I would comfortably say that I think the ACB, the top half of the BBL, all of the EuroLeague are substantially better than any high major conference. And I think we saw that with Luka Doncic. Like it was very clear that he was way better than like a normal college player. And I don't know if the NBL is like that. I think not. China is not like that, but you can just make so much money over there that it's sometimes smart to go to China if you can gut it out. 
Same with Russia. If you want to go play for like locomotive or something like that, or Cheska and really kind of grind it out. Although like then the mob might be involved. I don't know, but you can make, you can make so much money over there at the same time. But I, I think the one thing I will say about this is the RJ Hampton situation got a little bit kind of like messed up because when he originally reclassed, it seemed like he was going to go to Memphis. And then Memphis, for some reason, took Boogie Ellis. Like, they panicked and took him. And it sounded like R.J. Hampton's family had no backup plan. And he wanted to go to Kansas. And there's some whispers that they were like, ah, maybe don't go to Kansas because we don't know what's going on with Bill Self. And we don't know what's going on with the NCA investigation. And then he didn't really have any other options because he wasn't going to go to Duke. He wasn't going to go somewhere else. He wasn't going to have the ball. And nobody else had really recruited him. So this also could be a situation where they sort of panicked. And the NBL was like, hey, we'll find you 200 grand and some sort of sneaker deal and it'll be fine. And he's neither here nor there. I don't know how planned out this was beyond the last like two to three weeks, guys. And that's serious, like kind of, I don't want to give you the Chris Broussard, like quotes, sources type thing. Like that's sort of what the whispers around the industry was, was the last few days. Like if Ray John Tucker didn't go back to Memphis, maybe RJ Hampton would go, but then he moved his decision up to try to squeeze him and nothing ever happened. And they weren't comfortable sending him to Kansas, given the situation that was going on there. And I think that's why we're seeing this now. And that's why this kid maybe did decide to go to New Zealand, because it was the most appealing offer. Interesting. Yeah, I, d- I just actually read, there was a piece on The Athletic, like, published like an hour ago, um, that, that basically said, not, not like similar to that, uh, like the last two months, it kind of came together. And it, it was, uh, whatever his name was, the Florida guy, owner. Um, Matt Walsh. Matt, Matt Walsh. Walsh. Just talking about how, like, it, it definitely, like, he wasn't even trying to admit that it was, it came, you know, this came together last minute, but it sounded like it, you know, definitely did. Yeah, I think, I, I for sure think that. And like I said, for RJ Hampton, you know, I, I think it's a great experience. I, I would say a lot of people point to things like Brandon Jennings not becoming a star or Emmanuel Moutier's struggle in the league as this not being a viable, viable option, excuse me, but. You know, obviously, Brandon Jennings made forty-plus million dollars in his career. E-Man's going to get another contract. Terrence Ferguson was starting in the, you know, in the playoffs as a twenty-one-year-old. Everybody kind of shits on Jeremy Tyler. He's made a ton of money overseas. It never translated into an NBA deal, but he's made a ton of money. Like in Japan, he was like a massive star. So I don't know that this isn't a feasible option. And I and I and we're seeing kids leave college early in droves and just go overseas and play in the G League right away. So. I really want this to be successful for RJ Hampton because I really want some more kids to really try and kind of break the system a little bit. Cause I think it's the only way the NCAA is at least even going to consider like, Hey, let's make some real tweaks to this system. And that way we can kind of under, we can kind of help kids realize their earnings potential. And we can also, you know, not chase stars away from coming to play. Cause really the American public loses for a year, not being able to watch RJ Hampton play college basketball. Cause he is that good guys. He really is. Yeah, I think I think my you know I keep thinking you know this this is so big picture this is this, this impacts everything. Do we pump the brakes just because as we mentioned, twenty twenty two, can go straight to the NBA? Like, will this even matter? Like, will will this only matter for the next three years? Basically, like this could change things for three years, but in the big picture, like none of this matters, right? Because- my my assumption is not. And my assumption is that it doesn't matter. And one of the reasons I would say that, guys, just as the cynic in me, and this is this is just for you, Zandra, because I know how much you like when I say shit like this, but. If Kansas had not gotten busted in this investigation, me thinks that RJ Hampton would have found two hundred thousand dollars in America to go play college basketball. Yeah, no, I, that's what I was going to say too. Like, I, these programs, you know, you guys are right. It, it is a professional league almost at this point. Like college basketball, they make so much freaking money. They're going to make more money than the New Zealand league. They're going to make more money than you know the G League, um, and they have a built-in fan base. Like, I, 
I still think financially it makes sense to I, like, I went to Georgetown. I still support like the Georgetown players. Like they, they have fans for life. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I think it's, it's, a, I think it's a more uh, hopeful. I'm more hopeful that it'll amend the system than like completely break it apart. And I, I do would like to see, you know, that's my position in general. I'd like to see them allow high schoolers back just as like a basic level of, American freedom, but that's another story. Speaking of uh, breaking the system, the other real big story, and I know we don't want to belabor this, so let's just let's do about ten minutes and kind of how it affects the league. But big article today, Baxter Holmes writes it on ESPN, part of True Hoop, about you know even more kind of like Lakers drama. Magic Johnson was forcing people to you know was screaming at him, and he was Irvin when the camera was off, and people were having panic attacks and quitting. And Rob Falinka is lying about Kobe meeting Heath Ledger, which was amazing, and. Rich Paul was having like random run-ins with Adam Silver to complain about Luke Walton and, and everybody is, is upset with the Lakers, but Kendall, I know you've written about this at length. Let's talk about big picture because in the finals, you know, Kawhi Leonard is a free agent. Kevin Durant's a free agent. Clay Thompson's a free agent. Are the Lakers signing anybody? Like is anybody going to go to LA with all this shit going on? Cause it doesn't feel like it's getting fixed. Right. It, it, it really, it, it, this is like, this is like reality TV show level drama and like startup, like that's just hemorrhaging money level dysfunction. Like, <laughs> like, like it, that's good. I, that's a really good description. It's just, there's just like, it's like one of those companies everybody gets hired. They're really excited. And then nobody has a manager. Nobody knows what they're supposed to be doing um, the, the, from the top down. It's just so dysfunctional. And so I do think that this is going to, I mean, it's how could, how could this not impact the summer? Now that being said, you know, Somebody does like somebody like Kawhi Leonard. Like, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think he's going to Lakers, but just to use him as an example, like this, like yes, he cares about that, but also maybe not. And also the second, like, basically what I'm saying is all it would take is one signing, and this doesn't matter anymore. Like, like, I, know, I, what if it's know, Kemba Walker? <laughs> I don't think that doesn't. I, I, yeah, that's just not enough. Well, that that's my point. Like we talked earlier this week, last episode about you know, winning cures everything you know, in terms of public perception and Kawhi Leonard, you know, was kind of vilified and now he's a hero and Jimmy Butler to some extent too. And Anthony Davis would be if he went and became a winner. I just don't necessarily see a path to winning either. I mean, it would have to be two things. It would have to be signing a superstar and trading for Anthony Davis, right? I mean, I don't think one is enough. I think they need two. No, and, 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 and like, look, we, we say this all the time, like the best teams in the NBA build, like they build a base, they build a foundation, Warriors, like, like we, 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 we always talk about this and we forget, like you, you don't build championship contenders, like on a win, like this. you don't build championship contenders, hoping that you're going to sign these free agents. And I think one bigger thing that people aren't talking about enough is like, I genuinely believe that LA is kind of like what, I think what we're witnessing here, unless they can miraculously turn the tables is like LA is becoming like a Clippers town. I wouldn't say that. I live in LA. I, I'll tell you that. Like, okay, I can't speak for like from a fan base, but I'm talking about like from a business, like like clearly better run organization. Like, I don't think we ever like what Lakers hated was it ever like. I mean, of course, it was a little bit you know Hollywood, but it was never like dysfunction. Like they're falling, they can't make decisions. Like it's so black and white now. The Clippers are well run. They have a plan. They they've you know, like it's so black and white to me. No, I, I agree. I agree. Like, like I live in LA. Like I, I would defend this. Like LA fans get such a bad rap. There are two good fans in the LA. Dodger fans are very good and very loyal. 
And Lakers fans are ride or die. There are like people who would defend like Kobe Bryant to the death, you know, like stone the woman who. But also when you, when you argue, sorry to interrupt, but when you argue that those same Lakers fans are also so used to winning that they're now kind of like. I I don't think that, you know, that's the rap is that they're fair weather fans. I don't necessarily think so. Like, because the Lakers haven't been good in how long. Yeah. So actually that was the most, that was like, there was a bunch of great stories. And I do want to talk about Rich Paul because every time I get an opportunity to talk about clutch sports, it's so our ratings are great because they know I just, I just can't hide my feelings about it. But that was the that was the stat. So when Jerry Buss died, I guess it was 2013, right? And and Zan, you know about like what a huge figure Jerry Buss was in, in LA, but they're tied for the most losses of any NBA team with drumroll please, the New York Knicks since 2013. The most losses in, in the NBA since then. I mean, that's six years of embarrassing futility from a franchise that people still think is good for some reason. Well, you know what? To Kendall's point, this is a big announcement. I, I didn't know if I should say this. I saved this for, you know. ESPN, they might ask me for this exclusive, but I just, I live in LA, just had a daughter two months ago. And I, I had this conversation with my friends who just had a baby too. We're like, maybe we raise them as Clippers fans. You you're, know? Not like, even a, you're not even a Lakers fan. I'm not, you know what? I'm, I'm a Chicago fan. My family's from Chicago, but eventually, you know, two generations down the line, we have to, we have to support the local team until Kendall's point. I'm like, we're talking with my friends. I'm like in mommy and me class, the Clippers are clearly better run and better set up for success. Um, and also kind of like a trendy get on the ground floor, you know, Steve Ballmer, let's do it. Um, right before Kawhi gets here. I, I, what, what is your take on this as someone who lives in LA? Cause I've always wondered this. Um, I, I, re- I remember reading an article last summer, I believe, and it was kind of like, you know, this whole thing laying out like the Clippers, like culture and what they're trying to build in LA and how their culture is, is, is kind of matching like the, the new LA, the new, you know, like, um, you know, the, the startup ecosystem and like the, the, the more, I don't know, the, the, a changing culture of LA that's separate and, and emerging outside of the Lakers world. I agree. So, and that, and that comes from Balmer. I think he's, you know, he's a very modern thinking guy. He, he's, and the buses are sort of, <laughs> this is harsh, but you see these old monarchies where they get so inbred that like the grandchildren has like three arms, like uh, eventually like they wither on the vine. And I think the bus family has a little of that. The one thing that could change is simple that the buses run out of money or they are so, uh, you know, the that idea of that ain't happening. Not, not, that's not, not with the spectrum sports deal that they have. That's not happening in terms of like liquid cash. Like they, they, if somebody floats $5 billion at them, I think they would probably sell. Right now, they they love the fact that they are the only like family owned and operated NBA franchise, which is one, it's hilarious that they're like using that as a claim to fame because it's like embarrassing how bad they are. But they, they, they've turned down like offers before because it's been in their family since, you know, like the eighties, I guess. Like, and I don't, it's yeah. And they they haven't done anything to earn it. It's like those weird people. Have you ever met those people who was like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm Patrick Henry's great, great grandson. I'm like, well, what do you do for work? I'm like, oh, I'm a historian on Patrick Henry. It's like, well, find your own thing. You know? that's, what, that's what I think is really like, bad to be, <laughs> could the lake, could LA become a Clippers town? Maybe it's not now, but could it? And I think what's so kind of frightening about the Lakers is like, there's nothing less appealing or like in terms of like a team from as a young person, you want to like start following than a team that used to win and always points to those used to win, but they don't aren't winning anymore. And it's just like, like there's nothing appealing about that. It's like you suck. 
So my question, here's my question, right? We saw in this article, and I, I, you, you chime in on this, Zan, and, and then Kendall, I'm curious your response too. What do the Lakers do? Rob Palenka, the story about him and the Kobe Bryant meeting with Heath Ledger with The Rock, there's now a video online where you can see that The Rock like clearly thinks he's like full of shit. I don't know. It's very funny to me. <laughs> so awkward. So do you... Do you fire Rob Palenka? I mean, it's not the Dark Knight story. No, well, here's the thing now that you know, like, all right, he's clearly lying and he doesn't care. Other agents around the league don't want to do business with Rob Palenka because of how he sandbagged their clients early on in his career and later on in his career. If you're Genie Bus, do you need, like, as a good business owner, Zan, like, what do you do? Like, it's very clear that the, the Clippers have Jerry West now and he's like very good at what he does. And, and he actually was able to kind of move Doc Rivers out of a role where he was poisoning the team. So if you're Jeannie Buss, do you say like, hey, Rob Palenka, this isn't going to work. And then what do you do? You know, I think, first of all, I think Jerry West gets a little too much credit right now. I think he's, I think Lawrence Frank is like, that's the kind of guy the Lakers need. Just like a basketball guy. Exactly. Right? exactly. A guy who's a player evaluation guy. He's been a coach. He's been now a GM. Um, Rob Palenka hasn't done that. You know, he's a bullshit artist. He's an agent. That's his, like, that's his job is to, to sound good in the five minutes that you're talking to him. And then five minutes later, you realize it was full of shit. Um, I think in theory, he was supposed, that's, he's supposed to be good at these deals. And so I think this is his summer. If he can't bring in a superstar, he can't trade for a superstar, then you start to realize like the emperor has no clothes. Like this guy can't deliver as promised. And we need to go back to actually trusting an executive. I don't know who that guy is, but I think the clock is ticking, Kendall. What do you think? I agree. And I would maybe up the ante and say, like, I, I, I think they will keep him around this summer. I don't think they should because I, I think keeping him around is actually going to affect whether they do get a superstar or not uh, because this is just so toxic. Like, like when, when the, before this came out, like when Magic went on TV, uh, my first thinking was like, Polinka has to go. This just looks so bad. Like people who don't know anything about basketball are just like, who is you know I kind of had the opposite reaction. I, every time Palinka talks, I think he's a sleazeball. Um, but every time Magic talks, I mean, he's trying to put out fires with like a flamethrower. You know, it's just like, <laughs> it's every time he talks, it dumber and dumber. I think Magic Johnson like lacks self-awareness or something. Yeah, totally. <laughs> he definitely I, does. He's either the most or the least self-aware person ever. Like, I, I can't, like, I just, it's, it's crazy. I got a question for you guys. How about at ESPN right now? It's like Stephen A. Smith is like clearly out there defending Magic Johnson at every turn. Like he goes on first take and it's like, it's like only so Magic can defend himself. Ramona Shelburne is like very clearly Jeannie Buss's like <laughs> yeah. mouthpiece, right? So and, then, now, and, and then like now you also have like Baxter Holmes writing articles about the Lakers being a dumpster fire, which I, I didn't think like the article was like amazing investigative reporting, but it was well done. Like he had a bunch of sources and stuff. Like, what do you think goes on, like, within the inner workings of ESPN now as, like, a media guy, Kendall? Like, what are they talking about? Are they just like, we don't care that all these people have their separate sources and we're just running all these different shows that have different slants to different important people? Is it just, like, not something that ever gets brought up or what? I, I, I mean, having worked at ESPN, having worked in TV, and particularly with, like, these types of storylines, I don't think they think 24 hours ahead. It's just, well, how, how can we win today? You know, like how can you win the next four hours? It's so weird because like Stephen A. Smith literally did a radio hit today yeah. about how like the piece was bad. And it's like, this is a guy that works <laughs> in the same company as you. I know. I know. It, it, it's so interesting. I really think the, the Lakers are like the most fascinating example of what happens when 
franchises of this magnitude with this kind of sway have basically relationships with media outlets and can not control the narrative, but like create so many narratives that it just becomes an absolute like circus. Because then like after Jeannie, after this article came out, then Jeannie Buss was like, or not Jeannie Buss, then Ramona Shelburne was like, yeah, if you go find disgruntled people, they'll give you bad stories. And it's like, of course you're going to say that. Because like right. his article is about how your main source in LA is bad at her job. It's, 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 it's amazing. Like the Lakers in general, like it's such a big market and there's just so many media people here. It feels like as soon as you get your Lakers uniform, you get your own reporter to leak yeah. stuff. Yeah. And it's, it is sad, kind of like sports journalism outside of you two, shining examples. But most sports journalism, I think, is just like they're PR people. Like, I'm Kobe's guy. I'm going to leak whatever Kobe wants to yeah, say. It's, it's, it's sports and politics both have that same problem, which is just, you know, people who build careers off of basically access. Yeah, I mean, and that's it's it's seriously it's Brian Windhorst and Dave McMenamin who both are very good at what they do, but it's like LeBron wants to talk to them. Like LeBron will give them access, and so like you just go wherever LeBron is. And Windhorst has managed to carve himself out a little bit more of a career. But you know, Marcus Thompson, I've talked about him on the show a couple times, and he's Thompson scribe on Twitter. I think he's really good, but he very clearly has a great relationship with Steph Curry. He wrote a book about Steph Curry, and a reporter the other about Kevin Durant too. Yep, exactly. And a, and a reporter the other day asked Steph Curry about his time living in Toronto. I don't know if you guys saw this, but the clip was like, and then the clip literally was Steph Curry being like, revert, refer to chapter two in the book Marcus, T- I can't, I don't know the name of the book off the top of my head, it's bad journalism right now. But he literally said like, refer to chapter two in the book that Marcus Thompson wrote about me. And it's like, well, if you know that these players and these reporters have great relationships, how can you ever trust what you read if it's not something like what Baxter Holmes writes? Because everyone else is just like, caping for the people that they need to have, keep talking to them and keep them relevant. Right. And I think what's funny about sports that sometimes people don't realize, I guess, unless you cover it is like sports is unique in that, like comparing it to politics again, like politics, like political media is created by people in politics, read by people in politics. It's all very insular. Obviously the public reads it as well, but sports is like news about athletes read by fans. The athletes, like they just are creating the madness. They're like the puppet masters. They're just like them and their agents, of course, like creating the storylines, but they're not actually really consuming it in the same way fans do. And you layer on top of that, the idea that so many people have that like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just pure entertainment. That leads to people like Skip Bayless and that leads to people just accepting this stuff. And it's just like, well, it doesn't matter. It's sports. So we'll just like talk you know, about nothing for six hours and the day will just be like the Magic Johnson thing. It's just a complete circus. And it does lead to a lot of irresponsible journalism, I think. So Zan, what do you think as you're a guy that likes to look into the future? Are they trading for Anthony Davis? Are they trading for Brad Beal? Or is, are they, they picking themselves up by their bootstraps and, and signing somebody that's relevant this summer or are the Lakers yeah. just, I think it needs to be the trade. Cause I, you know, I, I think long-term is still a Lakers town, but as Kendall said, like the smart money, at least in the short term, at least until there's new ownership, until there's new management is on the Clippers. I think a Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant should go to the Clippers over the Lakers. If those are the two options, um, baby Ellison, baby Zandrick Ellison is going to the Clippers. That's a big draw. Um, I think, I think they're going to trade for Anthony Davis though. I, there's this whole idea that, um, what do you think that trade is? I think there's so much, yeah, the idea that there's so much bad blood and that um, they're not going to be able to deal with it. And I'm like, Griffin gets along with LeBron. He owes his career to LeBron. Rich Paul's heavily involved in both sides of this camp. I think I projected the trade being a little lighter than I think Pelicans fans would want. 
But I think it's as simple as, you know, Brandon Ingram plus four and maybe some other stuff. I, I just don't know if the market, they're going to get as much as the people expect. I, uh, I, I do think there's some line of thinking right now in, NBA, in the Pelicans front office that they would rather get the third pick and just pair Zion and RJ Barrett together because like they want to make Zion comfortable. I know we don't particularly like that just because of our differing views on RJ Barrett, but I, I don't think he's a perfect guy to have around Zion. But I do wonder, I mean, again, Gail Benson is over her dead body. Is she making a deal with the Lakers? And that's kind of my thought process of like, it's hard to, I think, to see the Lakers get that done. I, I don't feel like they're going to. I, I really don't. So where I, my, when, on this argument, I, I kind of agree with that. And then I ask myself, okay, well, where does he go then? Yeah, I mean, because I, I hate, I honestly don't like the Knicks package just because I'm but not exactly. a RJ Barrett fan. Like, you can't convince me. One, I want Zion to be a small ball five. I don't know that that's what New Orleans really envisions for him, but like, Mitchell Robinson is one guy that like Knicks fans keep like telling me is like, this is great. Like, this is absolutely what we need. And it's like, I don't, I don't want him to take minutes from Zion. Like to me, he's like an energy big. And it's like, if you're telling me it's like RJ Barrett, Kevin Knox and Mitchell Robinson. No, that's a, that's a train wreck team. That I deal think, is terrible. That deal's awful. Yeah. Well, well, that's why I like the the Lakers idea because like you said, whether Zion's uh, playing small ball five or four, he he's shorter. His wingspan's limited. I think you need to surround him with length. Um, and so Brandon Ingram's tall. If they get four, you know, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish is tall. Uh, they have long wingspan. Um, well, you, also I, have to pay, you also have to pay Brandon Ingram in like a year. That's the big deal. Like the difference, like between us, I think like I, I'm stubborn. I still like remember Brandon Ingram being a good shooter at Duke. And he, he really hasn't translated that. He's not like, he's still a reluctant three-point shooter. He still scores inside mostly, which doesn't sound like a good fit with Zion. Obviously the health's an issue. Um, but if, if my scouts and my medical staff sign off on Brandon Ingram as like an all-star caliber, I still like him more than anyone on the Knicks right now. How much different And Kendall, feel free to chime in on this one. Like how much different is Brandon Ingram in year? What? This is now year four. How much different is Brandon Ingram in year four than like Cam Reddish in year one? Which one of those guys is more valuable or RJ Barrett in year one? Which one of those is more valuable to a franchise that's trying to figure out how to win? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I kind of agree. I was always a big Brandon Ingram fan, but I'm kind of out on him just because it does feel like he's kind of plateaued. And I do feel like a lot of his plateauing has to do with his just like kind of demeanor. Like, I mean, I don't want to read too much into like body language and stuff, but like, it just seems like, I don't know, he just coasts. Um, I don't know. That, that, that's my biggest concern about him. So I, maybe, I mean, I'm not that big on Reddish either. When we were talking about the uh, going abroad versus staying in college, I was going to use Cam Reddish as a perfect example of somebody who like definitely had a down season and yet it's still going to be, you know, a top six pick. Uh, my question. I like both those guys more than the average person. So that's why like I'm a little off maybe in my package, but um, all these guys we talk about, you know, those two guys are not guaranteed to do much. Lonzo ball, you know, his shot hasn't progressed as much as we thought. Well, I mean, the thing about it, Davis, like I said, like if you, if you actually say, okay, well, where are his possible destinations? And you go through those possible destinations, what it's LA, New York, Boston, like, like, is there a wild card? I don't know, but none of those, there's no, it's not like this one or this one. Oh yeah. It's probably between those two. It's like nothing really makes sense. Like, but they all make sense. David Thorpe had like a super interesting trade to the trailblazers that like, was around Nurkic that I, oh man, I wish I, I wish I had anymore. 
Yeah, that's it, no. It was, it was like, there's it, no McCollum there. I, I, no, yeah, I, it was like recent. It was like actually recent after the Nurkic injury. Let me see if I can actually find it because he tweeted it out. And I, I, what, I, I, I wish the Nuggets didn't like didn't like. I wish Jokic was somehow like a point guard. Like I would love like a team like the Nuggets to just like turn three guys into one and just take that one more step up. Like I, one, one trade I've been thinking about. What do you guys think about this trade? Just something I've been thinking about specific trade. Gary Harris, Malik Beasley you know, whatever else makes it work, maybe a pick for Drew Holiday. You like Drew better? I, I always like the Nuggets as a sneaky uh, Anthony Davis and just play Davis and Jokic and, together. And together. I mean, that would be fascinating. I just don't think they'll do it. I think it's too it's too insane. To, like, Honestly, the, the one that really does make the most sense, and I don't think that either team will do it, but it's like the Embiid for Anthony Davis trade is the one that like ultimately, if you really figure it out, like, so Zion and Embiid, like, probably can play together. You'd have some time to figure it out because the Sixers aren't going to trade Ben Simmons. And then, like, all of a sudden the Sixers get this guy, Anthony Davis, that can play a bunch more and, like, he can shoot and he can step out. It's like that one probably makes the most sense of, like, both teams can really improve. But Philly is just so tight. Like, the fans. They're just so not – yeah, you're exactly right. They're just not going to do it. They're not. I have, a, not. I have a question for you guys on free agency. What do you well, – I'm thinking about this for this week. What do you think it takes – for Kawhi to stay in Toronto, do they have to win? Even yeah, if that, that's a great question. I I was saying that he cannot leave if he wins, but Tyler seems to think he's gone. I mean, he, he's he, he like like he doesn't care. Like, uh, no, he does not. <laughs> he's great. It's he's an unbelievable basketball player. We've talked about this over and over again, and, and Zan just keeps throwing out scenarios, and it's like. It just ain't happening, guys. Like, he's not staying in Toronto. It's not something he wants to do. I even brought up the whole, like, endorsements in Toronto for, like, a Canadian athlete type thing. And it's just it's just not happening. And, I swear and, and, you, and you say that because? He wants to be in the West Coast. Like, he, for some reason, like, his family, like, that's where he's from. And his family feels like this gives me – I mean, I saw today that, like, Golden State is going to, like, pursue him, which would be insanity. Oh like, and, and I don't know that that's possible. But, you know, we do have some odds, I think, from Bet Online right here. I think they have the Raptors as minus 150, the Clippers at plus 150, the Lakers at plus 400, the Nets at plus 600. It's just he's not playing at a market that he deems to be small. And I know that I don't mean to marginalize Toronto. We, we had a lot of talks in about Toronto as a market last week, but I just well, on Monday. I thought, I thought the Golden things, State thing is interesting you said because I – I wouldn't rule him out for a, a, a trade of somebody like you talk about Igudala, seventeen million next year. Sean Livingston, seven million next year. They have salaries to match if they want to add another big it could, star. It, it for could, some reason, could yeah, it, it could. It, but here's my thing: I think on one hand, Kawhi Leonard almost like his brand is that he doesn't care about his brand, like that is his brand. But at this, like he he just doesn't care. But at the same time, I don't I, I don't see him going to the word. I, I just don't think he's that type, like. He, he seems. I, I I wish I could hang out with Kawhi Leonard so I could actually understand him because I just don't. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think you could even if you I did. Don't, I don't think anybody does. Yeah, like it's weird. But yeah, exactly. But do, do you guys agree? Like, there's a part of you that just doesn't see him pulling the Durant, particularly after what like what how correct Kevin Durant's been treated. Like, I don't think Kawhi Leonard's blind to the world. Well, given everything that's kind of gone down and like the stuff that's come out from his camp and his situation in San Antonio, I don't see him going somewhere where he doesn't get to be the consensus when he signs is that he's the best player. And that's the one of the reasons why I think the Clippers is, is ultimately like right. the destination. It's just like, and we've talked about this before, like him and KD on the Clippers would be so much fun with their current roster and like Gallinari in that situation. But like, 
I don't see that happening. Like, I think Kawhi is getting his due on Toronto. And it's stupid, right, Kendall? Because he could just stay in Toronto and be the best player. Like, it's great. But he's not doing it. And I think, like I said, I think the Clippers is, is ultimately, are ultimately the team that end up making the most sense for him at the end of the day. Because I agree with you. He's not going to have Steph Curry be the face of the franchise. And I don't think, he, like, I don't think he's going to L.A. to have LeBron be the face of the franchise. Now, maybe he decides, like, I don't want to go to L.A. because even if I'm on the Clippers, LeBron is the face of the city. I, I don't know the answer to that, but. No, I was going to say, like, you know, we always talk about the personality fit and do you want to be the star you want to be? I think Kawhi's developed in terms of his basketball game into a player that almost needs to be the alpha dog. Like he's not, we've talked about this before. He's not a LeBron as a passer. But he also need. but he also needs to be on a team where he can play 55 games a year. It's very clear that like his style is that, and it's fine. And every, nobody should try to win MVP in the regular season anymore. You should all play 60 games and play 28 minutes a night in the regular season. It's pretty clear. But I think Kawhi recognizes that more than anyone. So doesn't he, shouldn't he go somewhere else like that? I think the Clippers, I, if I had to bet, I would bet on the Clippers. They're, they're, I think they're plus 150. Uh, yeah, they're plus 150. The Raptors are, interestingly enough, minus 150. So maybe they feel like the run has gone. We haven't heard. I mean, the one thing about Kawhi Leonard is we've heard leaks from Durant, from Kyrie Irving, from Clay Thompson, from Jimmy Butler. We have heard nothing from Kawhi Leonard's camp. Just that, like, free agency is going to happen and we'll see what he does. So. Can, I just, can I just throw out the idea that, so if Kawhi Leonard goes to the Clippers, let's say, just, let's say uh, Kyrie goes to the Lakers. And let's say, I don't know where Kevin Durant goes, but just like, just think about the East now minus Kawhi and now minus Kyrie Irving. I mean, what, are, what, are, what is happening there? Like the Sixers, the Sixers win the East. Yeah, the, yeah, the Sixers, exactly. They, they, the Sixers and the Pacers. It's just such a weird situation too, because there is definitely like some whispers that like, and, and Zan's been pumping this for a while, like that Giannis is not going to stay in Milwaukee and Zan thinks it's going to be Dallas, but like, you know, the whole Lakers thing came out about how Jason Kidd is there because they want to try to get Giannis in two years. And it's like, you could see that happening. Like, those stars all go west. And all of a sudden, it's like John Wall with 1.5 Achilles. And, like, you know, and, yeah, Victor Oladipo is the third best player in the East or something. <laughs> that's a real possibility. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, man. I think that's uh, – let's wrap right there for this. Uh, Kendall, can, how can people sign up to get your newsletter? Can you, can you yeah. let me know? Yeah, so uh, easiest thing, I mean, I was, honestly, the easiest thing is probably just Google Axios Sports, and it'll come up. But you can also go to axios.com slash newsletters slash axios dash sports, or just newsletters, and you'll see it right there. Uh, we, have, we, have, we have a bunch of different newsletters. You'll see the sports one. And then last thing, uh, your prediction for the NBA Finals. Who wins and how many games, and then who wins MVP? I think Warriors and six, Steph. There you go. Chalk. All right, Kendall, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> On that note, sign we'll up for back. the newsletter. <laughs> sign up for the newsletter. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your host, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news. 